pride comes in before a fall. Why? Because instead of looking at him and seeing the light, you're looking at yourself and you fall over. Imagine trying to walk like this. You wouldn't see what you're about to trip over. Well, praise God. I want to share a word with you today that I believe the Lord has put on my heart. And I, want, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to encourage us today. Hallelujah. And I feel like as I was praying this morning, Lord, what do you want to bring? I felt the Lord put on my heart to tell you the story of two souls. We know in the Bible we read about King Saul. And we also read about Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament. Both of them believed in God. King Saul believed in God. But he believed in the God of Israel, and he related to the God of Israel through sacrifice and through a legal system. And David, who Saul went after and pursued and tried to kill, he had a completely different relationship with the Lord. Both men committed terrible sins, Saul and David. But Saul was disqualified because under the system that he was in, in the system of the law, there is no making it in your own strength or in your own effort. And we never read about the Psalms of Saul, but we read about the Psalms of David. David, on the other hand, was called a man after God's own heart. And even when he committed terrible sin, yet God didn't disqualify him. In fact, he gave him an eternal kingdom the house of David, the key of David. Why? Because David, he understood the favor of God doesn't come from my effort and what I do, but the favor of God comes from his face, from knowing him. As you even look up the word, may the, uh, the Lord make his face shine upon you. That word face is actually pornim in the Hebrew, which can be translated favor, the favor of his face. David had a connection with the Lord that Saul knew nothing about. Saul had tried to talk to the Lord through prophets. He'd try to gain the favor of God through sacrifice. He'd try to gain the favor of God but, or, or trying to get God on his side or, or talk to God through people. And when he couldn't get a prophet, he went to a medium. You know, believing in God is one thing. Having a relationship with God is something completely different. So King Saul, when he lost his position as king and saw the favor that was coming on David, he hated him and he pursued him and he lied about him and he slandered him and he sought to destroy him. But God was with David. 
We read about it, David's lowest moments. You can read the Psalms, how he'd put his faith in the Lord, his God. Even when his family had been taken, the, the, all their possessions had been taken, the city had been destroyed by fire, the army of Israel was coming against him. King Saul and the, the people he was anointed, David was anointed to lead, were believing the worst about him. Still, David, it says, after he'd cried till he could weep no more, strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. He had a relationship with God that was personal and real. And this was something Paul didn't have, and he hated him. There's another Saul, and that is Saul of Tarsus. And a very different person. Saul himself was, he'd call himself the Pharisee of Pharisees. He had worked hard to do all the right things and keep all the rules and do it right. In fact, he's a lot like the rich young ruler that Jesus met, who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? It was that word, do, after he'd come to him and said, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus looked at this rich young ruler. Rulers are referred to in the Bible. We, we read about Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, or the Pharisees, the ruler of God's people. This rich young ruler, whoever he was, and many scholars actually believe it's highly possible that this was himself, Saul. You don't get to be a Pharisee unless you're from a wealthy, good family, and uh, Saul was, he was a Pharisee who trained under the best teachers. But whether it was Saul or wasn't Saul, this rich young ruler personified the attitude that Saul had. And Jesus could see, why well, he says, why do you call me good? No one's good except God. He was trying to tell him, hey, your self-righteousness isn't going to work here. And do you know who I am? I want you to know who I am. Yet, blinded by his religiosity, the rich young ruler kept going. He goes, what must I do? Well, Jesus says, well, keep all the commandments. He goes, I've done it. The Bible actually says, no one is righteous. No, not one. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in his mind, he believed he'd done a pretty good job. I've done it. What else can I do? And so Jesus raises the bar, helping him understand, trying to help him understand in this system of trying to do to get favor, you're going to always come up short you're going to always end up disappointed. Like King Saul, he was living under this contractual understanding of what God was like. And, and like the rich young ruler, Saul really felt he'd done a good job keeping all the commandments 
And he was seeking to gain eternal life by his righteous life. But the rich young ruler, he went away sad, realizing, oh, this isn't how I expected it. Saul, like this young guy, I think also is a lot like the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son. You know, in the story, Jesus tells, he talks about a father who had two sons. And one, the younger, came to his dad and said, give me my inheritance now. Which is like, basically in Jewish culture saying, I wish you were dead. Give it to me now. And went away and did all the things Jewish boys should not do. He did it well. He really messed up. And when he finally came to the place where he'd gambled away and spent all the money on prostitutes and gambling and all the things you shouldn't do, he found himself in a state of absolute poverty, no more money, and he was feeding pigs and so hungry that he was wishing he could eat the pig food. And the Bible says he came to his senses and came home thinking, well, you know, I've blown it now, but my father is a good man. He'll, uh, he'll probably let me work for him. And as he comes home, we know the story. The father sees him from a long way off, runs to him, wraps his arms around him, calls for a ring and a robe, restores all the authority, restores him, celebrates, calls for the fatted calf to be killed and a great big celebration to be had. And then we have the other brother. And it says here in Luke chapter 15, Verse 27, the father went to him and said, your brother's come. Uh, and because he has received him safe and, safe and sound, your father's killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. You know, when people who are working hard to do things right, see people who have really not done things right, who are not in that system, who are not thinking like that, getting favor, it's offensive. And it makes them angry. You know, Saul, King Saul was angry at this upstart David, why should he get favor? Saul of Tarsus, he was angry angry. He hated these Christians. Imagine this Pharisee who'd worked so hard all his life to keep all the rules, watching these uneducated, filthy fishermen doing signs and wonders and the, the movement multiplying and multiplying. And in his religious eyes, he just got angrier and angrier until he got the permission to go and kill them all. So much like King Saul. It says he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. This is the elder brother. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. That sounds like the rich young ruler. I've kept all the commandments. 
And yet you never gave me a young goat that I make, may, may, might make merry with my friends. But as soon as one of your, as this son of yours comes who's devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and is lo was lost and is now found. He was so confronted with what seemed to be injustice based on his justice system that says, I'm doing it, I'm doing it right, I should get favor, and forgot that favor doesn't come as a result of our doing, but favor comes as a result of his face. Favor comes as a result of looking to the Lord in humility and recognizing God wants to give you favor. It's what we know as the key of David. This key that was able to go to the Lord and, and trust in his mercy and his goodness. Talk to him personally, not having to go through somebody, not having to do something to get the favor, but because he could go to him personally, because he'd remain in a state of humility, repentance, receiving the grace of God, God continued to give him favor. And the Lord wants you to experience continual divine favor. Favor that comes from seeking his face. Hallelujah. I can imagine how the teachings of Jesus would make someone like Saul angry. But then as you read about Saul, he had an amazing Damascus Road experience. He was on his way to another city to get some more Christians to drag them off into prison and see them killed for these terrible, this scourge that was infecting the Jewish religion. And he thought he was serving God, doing good. I'm gonna make them understand how unrighteous and how wrong they're going they're about this all the wrong way. They're following a deceiver, this deceiver who's, who's suggesting that they don't have to keep all the law and commandments in order to get where they need to go, I, I, he was angry. And on his way to Damascus, suddenly he's thrown off his horse by this bright light that's so bright it blinds him. And he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. In other words, the Lord was saying, Saul, you're coming against me. It's very hard for you under this system. This system you are fighting so hard to be in is always going to lead you to disappointment. It's a difficult path you're choosing here. In fact, the law was given to show us that nobody can measure up to the standard of holiness by their own strength. But Saul was going to give it a good shot. It's hard for you, Saul, to kick against the goads, the Lord said. Anyway, Paul stayed blind 
And they had to lead him by the hand into Damascus, and God is dealing with him. And so Paul's, <laughs> Saul, his name's still Saul, he's on, the, on, the, on his knees talking to the Lord and repenting, I assume. And the Lord says to him, I'm going to bring a man called Ananias, and he's going to pray for you. And you'll receive your sight back. Meanwhile, a disciple named Ananias, who's not an apostle, certainly not a wealthy ruler, he's a disciple. Hears from the Lord, there's a man, Saul of Tarsus, that's in town. And I've spoken to him, I'm going to use him. I want you to go and pray for him and restore his sight. And Ananias says, Lord, I've heard about this man, Saul of Tarsus. He hates Christians. I don't, are you sure you want me to go and talk to him? I mean, it's quite amusing when you sort of think about this. The Lord is giving him so much detail. And, but it must have been scary and confronting because he was known as a really vicious hunter of Christians. I think it's amusing that God would use someone like Ananias to bring about Saul's healing. And like, you know, when Naaman went to the prophet to get healed, he was expecting that, you know, the prophet had come out and wave his hand and, and uh, yet he sent him off to the Jordan River to wash in the river seven times. And Naaman was offended, like, I'm important. But eventually he humbled himself and he did at a, at a servant's girl's encouragement, went and did what the prophet told him to do, and he was made clean. Well, Saul, I believe, went through a, an opportunity where he humbled himself and received from the Lord, the mercy that God wanted to give him. And so Ananias, the disciple, came and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord sent me to you, receive your sight. And, oh, I was blind and now I see. Hallelujah. And we know Saul became Paul. And uh, he, he then goes on and talks about himself, acknowledging that his righteousness was actually like filthy rags that all he thought was righteous was actually nothing like a suitable garment for a wedding feast. Jesus told the parable about the wedding and all the people came in and he went over to one guy and said, how, could, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? Now, people who think that they're going to be okay and going to make it because I've lived a good life, I haven't done all the things that other people have done, Jesus looks at it and says, that is filthy rags. All our righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible says. 1 Timothy 1.15, this is Paul. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. This is Paul. Yeah, that was a big change of heart. Oh, I'm the Pharisee of Pharisee. I've kept all the commandments. 
And when he uh, encountered Jesus, suddenly he realized, oh, actually, oh, I've been full of pride and self-righteousness. And oh, I see. Oh, God, I see. But the good news is, he said, however, for this reason, I obtained mercy. You won't obtain mercy if you think you don't need any. For this reason, because I recognize I need mercy. For this reason, I received, I obtained mercy. That in me first, Christ Jesus might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now the Bible says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves, that's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. We know that. We could quote it. But you know, sometimes we can get this sense that, hey, you know, I'm doing well. And, that, and that's, that's okay. But if you think that your doing is going to get you the favor, is going to open the doors, is going to make the way, then you've gotten your eyes off the immortal, invisible, eternal God to whom all the glory belongs, and you've gotten it back on yourself. And when your eyes are on yourself, you end up in disappointment. That's a disappointing track. Keith Green used to sing, it's so hard to see when my eyes are on me. It's like, it's true. That's why God says, I'm your glory and the lifter of your head. He wants you to lift up your head. He wants to lift up your face to see his face and recognize that favor comes from him, from his face, from his love for you. When the rich young ruler was protesting about his righteousness and all oh, caught up in his religious place, the Bible says Jesus looked at him and loved him. He doesn't look at us and go, oh, you make me mad. He looks at us and he loves us. It's my favorite verse in the Bible because that's how God looks at me all the time. He looks at me and loves me. Even when I'm being stupid, even when I'm being stubborn, he looks at me and loves me. Because his love never fails. Hallelujah. He's consistent in his love. He's so kind. And he knows when you get your eyes off yourself and you look back up at him and you see his smiling face at you, in his light, we see light. Oh, God, I see. Thank you, Lord. Have mercy on me. I receive your grace. By grace am I saved through faith. 
Not of works, lest anyone should boast. I cannot boast that I deserve anything. But I have received what I can have no part in earning. I've humbled myself and received mercy and grace in my time of need. Hallelujah. It takes humility to obtain grace. It's only when you acknowledge, I really need it, that you'll receive it. Hallelujah. It goes on then, verse 10 says, we are his, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works are a good thing. Faith without works is dead. Hallelujah. But if we're doing the works to get the favor, if we're achieving, achieving, achieving in order to make him happy, we've missed the reality of his face looking at us and loving us. And we fall into a trap where we can start then to even get into pride and self-righteousness where we start to think, I'm, I'm achieving, I'm doing good. Pride comes then before a fall. Why? Because instead of looking at him and seeing the light, you're looking at yourself and you fall over. There's a trap even I find that the enemy likes to use that even when tough things are happening, difficult things are happening, and you're looking, God, you're my help. If we, in, if we get, fall into a trap, though, of thinking about how bad it is for me and what's going on, all of a sudden, instead of finding mercy and grace and joy and strengthening ourselves in the Lord, we become consumed with what's happening to me. And without even realizing it, you've got your eyes back on you. And you who've been under attack and under assault and is now struggling with pride without realizing that you've hit that place. He doesn't play fair. The enemy hates us. That's why God says, reckon yourself dead indeed to sin and alive to God in Christ. Let me be the glory and the lifter of your head. Whatever you're going through, I am your helper. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I am the one who will give you strength. I am the one who will give you mercy and grace in your time of need. I am the one that will clothe you with clean garments. I'm the one who will not remember your sin anymore. I'm the one who loves you, who gave myself for you so that you could be in relationship with me. I love you. I'm for you. You're forgiven. And as you hear his voice, the Lord wants to wash you clean from all the struggles and the fear and the shame and the condemnation and the mountain climbing, achieving thing that you try to do to make him happy. And he'll give you rest so that you can come into a place of joyfully distributing good works through your life as a glorious, fruitful overflow. I want to finish today's program by sharing some scriptures that have really encouraged me. Three scriptures to lift you out of depression. 
When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 